0: All right, over the, the past year and plus, we have been looking at the topic of focusing on the Christ. And during that time, we have considered several um, angles of Christ, um, if you would. We've considered a shadow of Christ, looking at the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, for the, the pictures of Christ that were there, the, the prophecies regarding his, his coming. And then we took that right into the life of Christ and um, had Christmas in the summertime and considered then his youth, his birth, his youth. We've considered his ministry, looking at his ministry from many different angles. And then we looked at his arrest. We looked at his um, his crucifixion and his ascension. And that took us then into the return of Christ, considering um, his coming back. And then um, from there we looked at the reign of Christ. And as we considered the reign of Christ um, at the end of the year, and the beginning of this year, we transition then into the reflection of Christ because when Christ is reigning, we know that he's reigning today spiritually, and he's reigning spiritually in our our hearts. And so we began looking at that and, and, and understood that when Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, it'll be reflected in your life, and what we say and how we live will be a reflection of who or what is living in our heart. And so therefore, as again, as the world looks at us, as the world sees us, they may see this outer shell, this tent that I live in, But what they should be seeing is a reflection of Jesus Christ. Though they may not understand who Christ is, What they're seeing is Christ. And then when I have the opportunity, because light and darkness don't mix, you know, it's like water and oil, when they look at me and they go, what's different about you? Why are you the way you are? That gives me the opportunity to be able to point back to the cross, to point back to Christ, and say, this is actually what you are seeing. I used to be like this, but when Jesus Christ came into my life, he has done this work in my life, and and all I can do is give glory to God. And so if you like what you see... And this is why it's important for us to, to live a life, right? Because they may not like what they see and they say, whoa, I don't want that at all. But if, if you like what you see, then what you're seeing is a, an imperfect, if you would, reflection of Jesus Christ. I love when I go to Home Depot and Lowe's and everything, and they say, How are you? I say, I'm, I'm doing awesome. And then I'll stop and I'll say, No, wait a second. Actually, I'm not doing awesome. God is awesome. I'm a bad reflection. But I'm doing pretty good. And um, it gives us a little opportunity, this, how they respond to it, to know whether I'm going to have fellowship with that clerk or whether I'm going to have an opportunity to witness to that clerk. Um, so we've been looking, then, at the reflection of Christ, how we reflect Christ in our life. And first, um, about a month ago, we looked at um, reflecting Christ in our words because we we saw that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we say... How we talk is going to be a clear reflection of Christ. But then we begin looking at Matthew chapter six, verse 19 to 24, where it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break into steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break into steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the fact so the second thing the Bible talks about is going to be a clear reflection of whether Christ is spiritually reigning in your life is how you deal with your finances. And I know there's certain things that you're not supposed to talk about, and so this is one of them, but we're talking about it, okay? And, And because it's important, because Jesus Christ deals with finances, and the Word of God overwhelmingly talks about finances over and over again. So we've been dealing with this for four weeks now. This is the fourth week we've been dealing with it. First thing we did was we began looking at some principles regarding our finances. And we saw the principle of lordship, that the fact is that, that you've got to decide who is reigning in your life. Who is the Lord of your life? Is it Jesus Christ or is it money? Is it, who are you serving? God or mammon? And we saw the principle of ownership to understand that God owns everything and then the principle of discipleship and that is, again, Whose disciple are you when it comes to to how you spend your money? And we were joking. I was joking this morning with Mark about Larry Burkett and um, some things. And it's okay to listen to Dave Ramsey. It's okay to listen to Larry Burkett. I, I'm not saying you know clearly you're here and I'm teaching today. And it's okay to listen to people teaching the God, word God's word. But if you are use the analogy, if you are only studying God's word quote unquote when you're sitting under my teaching on Sunday morning, you're starving. Because it's, it's uh, you're going to like the illustration. It's like I asked the teenagers, would you rather eat a worm, now th- listen listen to me fully because a lot of you are already going, mm, or regurgitate a regurgitated worm. Okay, that's your options. You have a worm or a regurgitated worm. Which one do you want? Many of you would also now say, I'll choose the worm then. <laughs> but you know what? That's what the baby bird gets is the what? Regurgitated worm. He doesn't get, but one day he's going to get old enough that he's going to go out and get the, the worm. He's going to be the, you know, the early bird gets the, the worm, right? And he's going to be out there early, so he gets the worm, and then you have to worry about the regurgitated worm. So would you rather have steak or chewed up steak? You know? I mean, when you get a little bit older in life and we start losing teeth, and maybe you have to be pre-chewed. But anyways, but the, the fact is that you'd rather have the steak and not the pre-chewed steak. Am I right? Well, I promise you, right now, all you're getting is regurgitated worms and chewed up steak. Okay? The, I studied, for this. And you're not getting everything that I. In fact, I told Steve this morning, I've split even this. I wanted this part to be just done with this section, but I, I there's no way. I, I split it again in half, you know? And so, because I, I feel compelled to be able to share this stuff. So I want to encourage you, as far as being a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you study God's Word for yourself. What does He have to say about finances? Now, I hope that I'm being. I'm giving you, like Paul said, the whole counsel of God, but I know that I'm not giving you the whole counsel. There's no way, with as much stuff that is about finances and the Word of God, that I'm giving you everything, okay? I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, across the board with everything, okay? But I want to encourage you, be in God's Word, study in God's Word, asking God to show you for His wisdom, Okay? And the final principle is the principle then of stewardship. How do we deal with the money? How do we administrate it? And we saw that the overwhelming principle in the administration of finances is that it's found in a steward that one be found faithful. And that we are to be pistos, worthy of trust, trustworthy individuals. That God has is, is, is seen that we're going to be faithful with a little bit, and he can trust us with a lot. Does that make sense? That's the concept, okay? And so that we are trustworthy with what God has given to us. And then we began talking about the acquisition of finances. And then last week, we began looking at the appropriation of the finance. And that is how we spend it. Okay? Because it's all mine. No, it's not all ours. Remember, we said that principle of ownership, it's all God's. And God gave it to us so that we can be good Stewards, according to the principles that he's laid out in his word. And so, just as we saw then the principles of how we acquire it, he's got principles in his word about how we should spend it. And he said that our top priority in our life always ought to be who? Him. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. That is the first and greatest. Commandment. It doesn't change. No matter what area of life that you're in, God should be the number one priority in every area, and that includes finances. And so God put out very clearly in that that we were to give first fruits, tithes, and offerings to the Lord. It doesn't change. People say, well, we're New Covenant. We're New Testament people. When has God's standards ever changed? Just because, I mean, that's like saying to my kids saying to me, but you didn't tell me today that I couldn't get snatch the cookie, cookies out of the cookie jar. You told me that yesterday, but it wasn't today. So did God have to change his, the to, 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 to volitionally say, oh, by the way, I've changed that thing about tithing. It doesn't apply to you church people anymore. But when he got rid of the law, did he get rid of the tithes? No, because remember we saw that Abraham tithed, Jacob tithed. The tithing was before the law. This was a principle that was already there, that was already established, that they knew about. God didn't come to Abraham and tell Abraham, you need to tithe. Rather, when Melchizedek showed up, Abraham already knew that he was supposed to do what? Give the the tithe. What God says in the New Testament is that he blesses those proportionally who give. And so if you give abundantly, you shall be abundantly blessed. If you give not so abundantly, then you shall be what? Not so abundantly what? Blessed. It's just a fact. I mean, it's not Bob. Again, I don't know who gives what. I don't count the money. It's not about my paycheck. It's about us being faithful to God and what God wants wants to do through us, okay? And so then there's the the first fruits, that he wants the first portion, not the leftovers, the tithes, the offerings. And that is above, above and beyond the tithe. Now, you know, again, you don't have to stop at 10%. God loves a cheerful or hilarious, if you would, giver. Okay, and so all I can tell you is that from my perspective, and I shared this last week, I give, and I'm not going to tell you what I give, but it's well beyond the tithe. Okay, God challenged me to an amount. See, I'm a math major, and I got myself wrapped on this on this 10% thing. You know, uh, I was becoming legalistic. You know, with wanting to make sure that. And so I just asked God a while back, just I I, I need to be released of that. And so God gave me this amount that I was supposed to give. And and regardless then of whether I pay myself or don't pay myself, whether whether I got paid from the church or not. Anyways, that was kind of a chuckle. Anyways, but, but I didn't know. I mean, God bless. I mean, there was, or we shared last week, there was a couple months in a row I didn't pay myself from the company side. And, but you know what? I still had money. I'm paying bills. It didn't bother me. And then all of a sudden, Steve's called me up and says, hey, did I pay you last month? I says, oh, you must have. You know? I mean, I'm, cause I'm floating. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. And I look back through my, my QuickBooks stuff and I went, oh, no, I guess you didn't. <laughs> and so here I wasn't paying myself and the church didn't pay me, but you know what? Things are floating. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. But God is what? He's sovereign over mathematics. Does it make sense? And it's just it's just incredible to me how all that works. And so my encouragement to you is set God as the priority. Now we're going to get into these this how we're spending money beyond God. Okay, and you're not going to like necessarily everything I'm going to share here. In fact, the first one I'm sure you're going to groan at. But um, but your first priority is is God. Now that's important because number two is the government. Like I said, you're not going to like number two, (laughs) okay? And so, in number two is our government, which we equate to what? Taxes. Taxes. And we groan with taxes. But here's what I want to share with you, because I'm going to forget this um, as I go on. Our first priority is what? God. Second priority is government. That means that, A, I believe you should be tithing and beyond, Okay? Because I believe that's a biblical principle. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's between you and God. Okay, I believe it, so I'm going to preach it. I'm going to preach it hard. Okay, Once every ten years, you're going to get this. You just happen to be here. So, anyways. But God gets the first fruits. That means that you tithe off of the gross, not off of the net. Too many people like to tithe off of the net. That means they've already put their money in retirement accounts. They've already paid the taxes. They've already done this. They've already done that. And God gets the leftovers. Or at least he gets the tithe of the leftovers. The first fruits of the leftovers. God says, No, I don't want the first fruits of the leftovers. Remember last week he won the first fruits of the first fruits. Do you remember that? And he wanted the tithe of the tithe. Okay? And so when you get that paycheck, when you look at it, it's not what you took home, it's what you actually earned, what you actually made. So if you believe in tithing, okay, so that's between you and God. If you believe in that and you believe in beyond the tithe, then that's what you ought to be giving off of, not off of the leftovers. Okay, now. Government, though, is number two. Well, we see in Genesis 47, okay, now we're gonna look at the, or we're gonna turn in the pages to the New Testament passages. I'm gonna put all the Old Testament passages up here for us. But in Genesis 47, this is the origin, quote unquote, that we have biblically of taxes. Guess who started taxation? Joseph. Huh. Hmm. Joseph was a man of God. Hmm. And guess who gave Joseph the wisdom to know what to do? God. Do you remember when Joseph was that guy in, in the prison? He'd been sold as a slave, he, and then he was accused of, of messing with the, the boss's wife, and he didn't, and he was thrown in jail. You know? And then he was left there to rot while the, the, the cupbearer forgot who he was after he had already you know, interpreted the dream. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream, and he comes up, and he, and he starts translating Pharaoh's dream. You know, he, you know, he tells him what the dream was. He translates the dream for him. And then he, then he goes on, and he says, and here's what Pharaoh needs to do in order to prepare for what's going to be ready to happen. And so they put him in charge, because there is nobody else like him, In whom is the spirit of, it says God, but I think probably the Egyptians probably said the spirit of the gods, but regardless, but in whom is the spirit of God, okay? That clearly he had wisdom from somewhere that they didn't have. And so we read in Genesis 47, And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt, and to this day, that Pharaoh should have one-fifth. You like flat tax? How many of your, uh, don't 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 put your hand up if you're for the flat tax? Because normally when we talk about flat tax, we're talking maybe nine percent. You know the, the 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 McCain thing. Everybody liked McCain because he was the nine 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 thing. You know, and uh, some people say well, no straight ten percent that'll kind of work too or whatever. Well, Joseph's flat tax was twenty percent. Twenty percent, except for the land of the priests, and I like that part. Uh, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaohs. But since i'm what i'm bivocational i'm not quite sure whether I'd fit under this one or not anyways, so there was loopholes even back then right but that was in order to because they gave credence to in honor to the spiritual realm okay now understand that wasn't Yahweh worship, but understand that's the concept of bringing it through when uh, when the the founders of the United States placed in in um, laws in our land, they used the Bible as their Standard as their foundation. Okay, do you ever wonder why in the United States, for example, I have an exemption? I have a, I think it's called a 4381. Is that right, Todd? You know the number of it? It's 4381, and I have one of those on file with the, with the federal government that I don't have to pay social security tax, based upon what the church pays me. That's a that's a religious conviction that says that I believe the church is responsible to provide for me as their as their under shepherd, as their shepherd. Okay, and so and that I have, that the, I should not be relying upon the government to provide for me, okay? And that is my, my conviction. I, I really do believe that, okay? Now, what I make outside, I have to pay Social Security tax on. I have to pay all my, my self-employment tax and all the other kind of Medicare and everything. But I don't have to pay that on what the church pays me, okay? Um, why? That's based upon this principle. That comes from God's Word, okay? That that the United States government saw that principle and they brought it in. Now, it didn't just stop there. It continues on. And in 1 Samuel 8, when... When the children of Israel are now saying, we want a king, we want to be like all the other nations, God gives Samuel wisdom, and he speaks to the people, and he says, but I want you to know what it's going to be like when you get to get this king, right? And so he says to them, he says, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth. A tenth. At least we get a little better with Israel, right? Egypt was 20%. This is only 10%. He's going to take a tenth of your grain and vintage and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself and Yahweh will not hear you in that day. (laughs) Because you have said... No, we want to have a a physical king. We don't want to worry about looking to Yahweh. We want a physical king. This is what's going to be the the end of it. Okay. Now, what I want to point out here, it's only 10% for Israel. It was 20% for Egypt. What happened to the other 10%? It went to God. That's exactly right. God's already acquiring the tithe. Remember? that For Egypt, they were that spiritual people too, and so they were putting everything in one lump sum. So it's all one and the same. 10% 10% was God's, and 10% was the government's. Hmm. So now you're talking about flat tax. Here we go. You got your flat tax. 10% goes to God. 10% goes to the government. Now, again, I'm not preaching taxation here, okay? Some of you are going to throw me in the, the, the harbor with the tea. And, uh, but I'll give you representation. Anyways, so Luke 20. Turn with me to Luke chapter 20. Because this is what Jesus then said, you know? People say, well, that's Old Testament. Now, I understand, I'm a dispensationalist, and there's a lot of dispensationalists that are going to poo-poo what Jesus said, too. Okay, But again, I've said this numerous times, because they said Jesus was part of the old covenant thing. It wasn't a new covenant thing. But as I've always said, Jesus is God. Would you agree with me? And so God in the flesh said this. Do I think it's important? I think it's important. And so I don't discount what Jesus said during the Gospels, saying, well, that was just Old Testament stuff. But look what he says, beginning at Luke, Luke uh, 20, verse 20. It says, so they watched him. That's the Pharisees and Herodians and stuff. They watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, teacher, we know that you say, and teach rightly, and that you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the, the way of God and truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now understand the conundrum that, 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 um, that he's in at this moment. Okay. If he says, yes, pay your taxes, then what happens? All the Jews are going to be against him because he's saying, yes, they're sovereign and, and we should be subservient to Rome. So all the Jews are now going to hate him. Okay. But if he says, no, We're Jews. We don't pay taxes to anybody. What's going to happen? Rome's going to squash him because now he's leading a rebellion. So they think they've got him. That's the perfect thing. You know, it's it's that two edged sword thing. You say, yes, you're condemned. You say, no, you're condemned, right? Well, look what Jesus said. Jesus, verse 24, uh, verse 23, he perceived a craft in this and said, Why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Show me a coin. Show me a quarter. Show me a penny. Show me a nickel. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. He said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. What's the point? Who bears, think about it, this little coin bears the image in the likeness, if you would, of Caesar. So therefore it belongs to Caesar. But look around, and what do you see? The image and likeness of God. So what Jesus is saying to them is, listen, you're living for the money. You're living for the mammon, and the things that money buys. But again, Matthew 6 comes right in, doesn't it? But you can't serve two gods. You have to decide who it is you're going to serve. Are you going to serve Yahweh? Or are you going to serve money? You can't go between them both. You can't have a foot on both sides of the fence. It just doesn't work that way. So which side of the fence are you going to be on? Are you going to be God's side or are you going to be on the world's side? And so he says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar. What does it mean? It's meaningless. Do you remember when he goes to pay the temple tax? And we're not going to go to that passage in Matthew that's on your sermon note sheets. You can look at that later. But do you remember when, when he's asked whether they're going to pay the temple tax? And Peter comes to him and says, what are we going to do? You know. And, and what did he tell to Peter when they go to pay the temple tax? Does anybody remember? He comes to him and says, what are we going to do? Nobody remembers? Ah, go to the fish, go to the lake, okay? Go to the lake, go fishing. Now, that'd be kind of fun, right? You know? So Peter goes fishing. He says, in the first fish that you catch, do what? Open up its mouth and put your hand in, and you're going to find what? Two coins. Two coins. Not just one coin. Two coins, because it's for mine and yours. See, because you obeyed me. See, think about this. So not only did did Jesus pay his own taxation that way, but Peter obeyed him, and so Peter's tax was paid too. It's kind of cool. Anyways, you kind of wish that it happened that way, right? You know, that God got, kind of did that thing. But the point is that he says to him at that point, he says, who do, who do men collect taxes from? Citizens. He says, well, we don't have to pay then. The sons don't have to pay. You know, in other words, I don't have to pay this thing. He says, but so that we don't cause offense, then go ahead and pay it. Do you get the point? So Jesus basically is saying that you should do what? Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Well, what does it continue saying then in Romans 13? This is Paul now writing, okay, Romans 13, a very hard passage for us sometimes. Romans 13, verse 1 to 7, says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Stop for a moment. Who's the authority right now when Paul's writing this? Rome. Specifically? Nero. Nero. What is Nero known for in Christian history? Burning Christians. For taking Christians, putting them on a stake, throwing tar and pitch all over them, and lighting them on fire. We were their streetlights. We haven't had it that bad yet in America. You may think it's rough sometimes, but it ain't that rough. And Paul says that we were to do what? Submit. Subject. Be subject to the governing authorities. Why? Because there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Sometimes I think God gives us what we ask for, but he's still what? Sovereign. And God can overturn anything. I'm praying for God to overturn right now. I, I mean, well, let's not go politics here. And but understand, I mean, I don't like a whole lot of the the the, the choices that are out there on either end of the side of the, the aisle. Okay. And this land needs a revival. When when we look at the conservative quote unquote side of the aisle, and we're content to take ungodly people, we've got problems. Just because they may beat a more ungodly person, that doesn't make sense to me. Continue on verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Wow. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due." Listen, I get so tired of people bemoaning taxation. Taxation is biblical. It's biblical. Make the coffee, smell it, drink it, whatever you need to do, but have a biblical worldview. Sometimes we are infected by humanistic worldviews, not just on the left side, the liberal side, Okay, big government, more and more taxation, which I understand. But also on the ultra-conservative side, that says what? No taxation. You know, rebel against it. The Bible teaches that if you have a government, you're going to need what? You're going to need funds. That's just a fact. You have your own governance in your own house, don't you? I mean, hopefully the husband is the head of the house and the wife is, is, the, is the helpmate, and you have this little government situation going on, and, and, if, and if, if, if the citizens within the kingdom of your home rebel against you, what do you do? You execute punishment, sometimes capital. No, anyways. Um, no, no capital punishment. Anyways, but you execute punishment. You put them in solitary confinement at times, you know? You, you, you might exec- give them the board of education and... Um, to, to, to bring about the seed of learning and all that kind of stuff. So, anyways, but within your own little government situation, you need what? Funds. you you, you got to have money to, 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 buy and to, to, to buy the food and to meet the needs of the, the, the citizenry that are there. Well, the same thing happens on the country, in the country's basis. If we want to have a government, then the government is going require, to be required to have funds in order to run the government. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I necessarily believe that our government is handling everything appropriately, okay? That they are appropriating the finances appropriately, okay? I don't think necessarily that they're being godly in their appropriation of their finances. It doesn't matter. My job is to do what? Submit and obey. When the government tells me, Acts chapter 5, when the government tells me to do something that God has... When the government tells me not to do something which God has told me to do, or when the government tells me to do something God has told me not to do, who should I obey? God. Because God's my what? Number one priority. Make sense? But as long as the government isn't telling me something that God didn't say, then should I obey or not? I should obey. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that the tax code necessarily, and this is not to be political, because I'm not taking a stand on this right here. I'm not saying that I necessarily believe or don't believe that the tax code should be overturned and changed and whatever. All I'm telling you right now is that taxation is biblical. And until it changes, until the code changes to whatever it is, my job in reflecting Jesus Christ to this world is to give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God, that which is God's. Because ultimately, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and if I need more funds after I pay the taxation, guess what God can do? He can slaughter another cow for me. And so for all the bemoaning we do with the taxation we have, we still have what? More than enough. We still have more than enough. So, so be careful at how we get involved and how we get sucked into the things of this world, and they distract us from the things that are uh, eternal in nature. Does that make sense? I mean, again, when I die, I don't have the U-Haul behind me, right? The only thing I can take to heaven with me are what? Souls. The souls of man. Souls of man are eternal. And so I've got to be focusing on his kingdom, his righteousness, seeking to work in his fields... And not worrying about my fields. Worrying about how much I can die with. Number three is family. Now, family is what? It's very important. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that I think the government is more important than family. Okay? You can kind of see that in priorities up there. However, the fact is, when it comes to paying the finances, when it comes to appropriating the funds, the fact is the government's gonna get its what? It's gonna get its cut. And if I don't give them their cut, then they don't hold the sword, meaninglessly, right? In vain. What are they going to do? They're going to throw me in jail. Then what good am I good to my family? Do you get it? So even though I understand my family is more important than the government, I understand the government is an institution that was established by God back right after the flood, that He worked it through Noah. So the the government, is something that God did appoint. Even though Israel chose to have a king, the fact is that God still was working in governance. And he did it through Moses, you remember? Moses was governing land, and he had 70 elders who helped be judges over the land. So there was still a governance over the land. God established that. Okay? God also established the institution of family. Okay? God also established the institution of the church. And so here we got it, all three up there. You've got the institution of the church, that's God. You've got the institution of the government, number two. You've got the institution of the family, number three. The fact is, just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are what? equal, and yet they have different functions, the fact is that you can't have any part of these. You can't deal without any part of these in your life. Am I saying that right? I hope you're getting that one. That all three of these things are going to be a part of your life. Okay, And so, in a sense, you've got to keep the balance on it. But God does show us in his word that there's a priority when it comes to um, function financially. Well, number three, then, is family. Well, we read this morning, Psalm 127, it was our our or reading, it says that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. In other words, if you're not looking to God for His wisdom and His counsel in establishing the rules in your home, then ultimately your home is what? Is a wreck. Okay? We wonder what happens to homes. Why do they go to array, uh, a, in disarray. Why, why, do, why, do, why does it why does it happen that way? Well, I want to challenge you. Then this is not a message on 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 spiritual headship right now. We're talking about finances. But dads, okay, you are the key of your home. If you are not in God's word all the time, and you are not seeking to encourage your family to be in God's word all the time, if you're not praying for your family all the time, who do you think will be? Is it kind of like how we expect to know God's word by osmosis, put the Bible underneath the pillow and we hope we get it by the morning? It doesn't happen that way. And so in the same way, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it, it's going to be the same thing. It's Verse 2, it's vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. What's the point? Why would you be getting up early? So you can do what? Go to work. And you stay up late so you can work more. And so you work more so you can get what? More money. Back in that day, it would be agricultural, and they would be able to t- turn that back in. But it's all the same concept. It's the money. It's the things that money buys. It's the mammon. And so if I work more, guys, I mean, this is, and I understand, ladies, you're in the workforce now somewhat. And so, but guys, it's still up to us. We have to be the spiritual heads, okay? And I've got to be careful being bivocational. I am running with my head cut off right now, okay, with the different jobs. And just this week while I'm painting, i got two or three people calling me for work. I mean, I told about I'm not even going to come see it till after the twentieth. I just can't. There's just no way. I don't even know how I'm going to finish the job I have to have done by the twentieth to be done by the twentieth. That's a week from now. And I've got cabinets to install this week, not to mention finish all the painting I I, I got to do. And so I'm like, woo, I'm going to do this, you know? So we're we're working late at night, and this comes keeps coming back to me. I'm preaching it, you know? And so you're tested by this stuff as you start preaching this stuff, you know? And and so it's vain for you to rise up early and to stay at work late. if all you're just working for money. And that's really the key here. I've got to keep that balance in my life that my focus is not the money. I only want it to be a little bit in addition to what the church provides me. I don't want it to run my life. And I hate it when I begin to feel like something other than the kingdom of God is having mastery over my life. So men, as we come and we're looking at appropriation of finances, the spending of finances, your family is very important. But the thing that you need to remember here, because when we're going into this, we talked about it a little bit with the principles, and that is, it's got to be God who ultimately builds your house with the finances. We tend to lose track of that, and we, turn, we tend to start looking to the kingdom of man, and the kingdom of Bob, if you would, put your own name in there, Rather than the kingdom of God when it comes to how I'm going to spend the money for my family. Okay, God, I give you your 10%. Okay, I gave the government their, their little portion. The rest is mine. No, we've missed the principle of lordship, ownership, and discipleship. That was overriding all that. God owns what? Everything. And he's only given it to me to be a steward of. He hasn't given it to me so that I can spend it all on me. Okay, 80% of it. Because 10% has got to go to government, 10%, and I know it's probably more than 10%, but anyways, 10% has got to go to God, and so whatever it is, I give the minimum amount. I reach for the the, the lower rung. You know, you know. I teach the, teach my guys, don't aim at the minimum. If you're aiming at the minimum, you'll never even hit it. What should be your goal? Perfection. Perfection. I'm pressing to Mark. Jesus said, "Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect." I'm aiming for perfection. Will I ever reach it here on earth? No. But if I don't aim for it, I ain't gonna come anywhere close. If I'm only aiming for the for the for the for the bottom, I'm nowhere. I've got to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In my finances, with my family, I'm gonna press, and sometimes they may groan because I'm pressing. <laughs> okay, but I've got to be the one. I'm gonna be the one who's gonna give an account to God in the end for what I've done as a steward of the finances and the resources that He's given to me as a man over my family. So, what does it say in Proverbs 24? through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches now stop for a moment when we read that we think what Drapes and adornments and, and vases. I, I, I'm talking to the women. The guys, you're thinking of the room down in the shed that has the, the, you know, the, the, all the porter cable tools and the radial arm saws and, and all this other kind of stuff. Or if you're a car guy, say, I've never been a car guy. I've never been, and I've really never been a, uh, a tool guy until the Lord made me start doing this stuff. For me, it would always been computer type of stuff. I, I, you know, we, we joke about Devin sometimes, you know, about being a techie. He's not here. I can pick on him. And, um, but that was me years ago. And so, I mean, I, the, the computer games, the newer computer and that kind of stuff. Well, now it's kind of transitioned, you know. Now i start doing this kind of work. And so I find a new tool that may save me a little bit of time. I think, oh, this is going to be nice, you know. And uh, But that's what we think. So we think the room being filled with all pr- precious and pleasant riches. We think physical. But again, Jesus, when we started this whole thing, Jesus told us, don't think physical, think eternal. Think spiritual. Think eternal. Laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. And so when I read this now with the biblical, Christian, Christ-filled mindset, what do I read now? What are my rooms filled with? What are the precious and pleasant riches? It's righteousness. It's souls of man. Do you understand? It's having my children, um, having a peace... And I don't know if we're going to go to these verses or not, because there's only so much I can do. Um, I don't think we are. But it's, you know those passages in Proverbs where it says, it's better to have a house of what? We did this a couple weeks ago. Peace than having, what, eating what? Eating steaks. It's better to eat a, a, a meal of herbs. Remember I joked about having green beans. It's better for me to eat green beans. I hate green beans. It's better for me to eat green beans, okay, than to eat steak and have there be all kind of disunity in my house. Okay, and so, what kind of riches are we looking for? Well, First Timothy five. Let's turn there. First Timothy five says, beginning of verse three, that we are to honor widows. Okay, First Timothy five, beginning of verse three, says honor widows who are really widows. Okay, now that's <laughs> okay. We're, it's a different subject, different different message. But honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has "'Children, or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home "'and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. "'Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God "'and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. "'But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. "'These things, and these things command that they may be blameless.'" But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or unbeliever. That's a pretty strong statement there. What that's saying is, men, that we are to be providing for the needs of our family. And he's not just talking about my immediate family. He's talking about my extended family as well. He's talking about my mother and my family. My father. Now, my mom and dad aren't necessarily there, year, there yet. Okay, my dad's 76. So, according to the statistics of the world, he could be there within 10 to 20 years. Yes. Okay. Sometimes, depending on on health issues, he could be there what tomorrow, now. Okay. And so, we've already been discussing this for years with them. Okay, about where we stand biblically on this. Okay, and. I know at some point I'm going to be tested by it. Okay, Now, I understand I have to honor my mom and dad's desires as well, and I'm, and I'm praying about those desires for them. And, but my goal is to honor them, is to minister to them biblically. Okay, That is my responsibility before the Lord. Not before them, not before the world, but before the Lord. And as I live it, though, I'm going to be living it before who? The world. You get it? I'm not doing it to put on a show before the world. I'm doing it to honor and glorify God, because that's what God wants me to do. But I know that I'm, as I'm seeking to honor and glorify God, it's that reflection thing there that's going on, that the world is seeing this, and they're thinking what? You're nuts. Because if you did this, you'd have more time and more money, more of this, more of that, right? And my comment would be, but it's not what God wants me to do. It's easy how we can justify decisions. Now, I'm not, again, into your home with your decisions, and I'm not saying this to say that you've got to be what Bob thinks, okay? I'm just putting out the principles of God's word. Men, this is back to us. We are responsible for taking care of the needs, not the greeds, the needs of our family. If my extended family has a need... I need to be there to meet that need. Even if it means that my family doesn't have as much greeds. Does that make sense? And sometimes it's hard for us to discern now. Remember my testimony, with the the discerning between the clean and the unclean. Well, discerning between the needs and the greeds. You know, the, the needs are the clean. The greeds are the unclean. Not necessarily that they're evil, understand? But it is evil if I look to myself and say, I need to have my greeds rather than meeting their needs. And what is our, our memory verses? You know, we're talking about love, one another, okay? And, and we're going to be memorizing the part that if we, if we say that we see that our brother has a need and, and we have what there is to meet the need, and yet we don't step in to meet the need, then we're really defying who? God. We'll get there when we start looking at the reflection of Christ, not as an individual, but as a, a body, and we come back and we're going to look at this from the body's perspective about how we're supposed to be involved. Remember, the church was doing what? They were selling property off, okay and they were bringing it in, okay to meet the needs of the of the body. and we will we will get there on that um, again, not in this section, but as we as we get into probably next week, we might mention just a little bit, but then we'll talk about it more when we talk about the body of Christ. and so but for here, men the needs. We are responsible to meet the needs. Now, if that means that I have to get a second job, that means I have to do what? Get a second job. If that means I have to get a third job, that means I have to get a third job. It is my responsibility to meet the needs of my family. Okay, I'm going to stand before God on this. And so, I just want to put that out there to you. Okay, let's Let's look at Mark 7, verse 6, verse 6 to 13. Because in the same light, Jesus had to deal with an issue. And he brought up an illustration. He was, the, the, the issue was um, the legalism that was being brought to him by the Pharisees and asking why his disciples didn't wash their hands and, and that kind of stuff before they, they ate and before they drank. And, and this was his answer to them. And I think it's really interesting that he brings this up as a, an illustration to them. okay So Jesus answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What's he saying? He's saying, these people look like they're what? Worshiping me. They're pretending they worship me. But by their actions, they're what? They're showing something else. So what's the thing that he uses as the action? For laying aside the commandment of God, verse 8, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition for Moses said honor your father and your mother and he who curses his father and mother let him be put to death but you say if a man says to his father or mother whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban not Corban but Corban that is a gift to God then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do so what's the illustration? he says says, looky you're all worried about your traditions, and as long as you've got your little things set up there that you feel good about yourself, that you feel godly about yourself, you're okay. He says, but in doing that, you've turned to set aside the commandment. I commanded you, part of the ten words of the covenant, the fifth word of the covenant, ten commandments, was honor your father and your mother. In fact, in the law, I said if anyone would curse their father and their mother, they deserve capital punishment. Trying to let you know how important I thought it was that you respected your honor, that you respected and honored your father and your mother, that you took care of them. But you say, but you turn around and say that anything that I could have helped you with, again, 1 Timothy 5, right, when you're older, sorry, can't do that, I've set it apart as a gift to God. Now, they worked it out, now you need to understand a little bit in there, that they worked it out that they could spend that money on themselves. It wasn't being given to the temple. It wasn't being given to the the Levites. They were going to spend it on themselves, but they dedicated it to the Lord. And so, therefore, they just couldn't turn around and give it to the parents because it was set apart. It was consecrated. It was holy. And so they were going to spend it on themselves is the idea. And they were using the law, quote-unquote, or their legalese of the law in order to get around the law. So they didn't have to obey God. And we tend to like to do that too. We like to do gymnastics with the word of God. And we like to kind of do sword play so we can kind of use the word to justify the fact that we don't have to obey the word. Does anybody know anybody else who did that? How about like in Matthew chapter 4, talking to Jesus right after he spent 40 days in the wilderness? Satan. And what did Satan do? He came to Jesus with... The word with the scripture. And Jesus had a sword play with him and said, no, but it says in the word, you shall love the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then he said, get away from me, Satan, because he knew. And so Satan likes to take the word and bring it around. Well, Proverbs 13:22, last three verses here, all from Proverbs, says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 3, verse 35 says, the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. And finally, Proverbs 21 says, There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. I'm supposed to be taking care of my family now, and this is one that Bob struggles with. I'm also supposed to be making sure that I'm taking care of my family when? Later on. But I promise you, this is one of the main areas that we as Americans struggle with. How much do I need for retirement? When do I retire it? I'm not going to go there on that one, okay? Remember we talked about that, the fool who had all these extra stuff, and he had his barns filled with it, and he says, what am I going to do? I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns, I'm going to tear down my silos, and I'm going to build bigger ones so I can have it. Because enough was never enough. He always wanted a little bit more. And God said, you fool, tonight, this very night, your soul is going to be required of you. And now who's going to eat the stuff that you've been laying aside? There's a balance here, okay? And I can't tell you what the balance is for you. I can't do the little chart thing and say, oh, this is God's will for you. That's between you and God. It may be different for you than it is for me. What I can tell you is that I know, and this is the part that Bob's struggling with. This is straight up, okay? That I trust God for my future. I really do, okay? But I know that I need to have be putting something aside for retirement, and I don't. I don't. I got $2,000 in a mutual fund. That's it okay, and so I'm being honest with you, pray for me on this one, because I know that I've got to balance this thing out, okay, and I know that in order to do that, I'm going to take away money that I, can, I need to spend for my family today, or that I have for the kingdom of God today, and I know that this is a principle that I've got to apply to my life, and I've got to find how I can balance these three things together, okay, without using some some financial planner coming in and telling me what he thinks I need to do, I'm trusting God, God's going to give me wisdom on this one, and I want to know, God, what do you want me to do, okay, so pray for me on that one, but... Look what it ultimately says, though, again, through all this. It says, the wise shall inherit glory, but the legacies of fools is going to be what? Shame. So in the end, in the end, what do you want your name to look like when your inheritance is being passed down to your kids? And they're talking about you. You got it, Rodney. Yeah, Dad gave me all the money, that jerk. You know? Now, hopefully, my kids aren't going to, I want, again, I've said this before, I want my legacy to be, he loved God. He wasn't perfect, but he loved God. Yes, ma'am? Can you clarify a little because you're saying, be your children, children but then you have to there, There's two sides of that, okay? There's, there's, that retirement side is, as well, it's, it's going to be passed down to your kids. I mean, think about it. When you die, what gets passed down to your kids? Whatever you've set apart, right? But if you, if you have that money set apart, and all of a sudden you're infirmed, what do they have to help meet your needs too what you have set apart now hopefully if you don 't have anything set apart, you guys listen to this right um, that that 's why I have seven kids every they, they, they give me every month I get to pass down from one to the other and and every seventh month they get a reprieve you know so they, somebody only gets me once a year and anyways that 's a little joke there never know one day it may not be. Um, I'm trying to te- inculcate this truth to them. <laughs> um, but anyways, but the point is, if I'm not doing that, I'm not looking ahead. I'm, I'm not the ant, who's laying up in the, in the harvest for the days of the winter. Does that make sense? And so, in the end, though, I die. I'm laying up an inheritance for my children's children. Now, my dad, on the other hand, he has money, some money, but he tells us what? You're getting your inheritance now. I'd rather give you the money now when you need it for the things that you need it rather than building it all up so that when you don't need it anymore, all of a sudden I give you this lump sum so that you can let it set aside so that when your kids don't need it, you give it to them. That doesn't make sense, does it? So so if we have a need, and and, and I've always told them, if God lays it on your heart that I have a need... I am very, God has taught me great humility over these years. I will readily accept it with thanksgiving unto God. And I'll thank you as well, but I'll give my thanks to God because God knew I had the need for it. Does that make sense? I mean, when I was in seminary, my mom said, you know, will you tell us if you have any need? No, mom, I won't. I said, if I start feeding them cardboard, then I might let you know. But we can live off of soup. We can live off of rice. We're good. But if God lays on your heart that I have a need, that you need to send money to Bob, send it to Bob. Trust me. And, and I will be very glad to receive whatever gift God has laid on your heart to send me. Okay? And so God, God's taught me all that. But do you understand? So so how you do it between you and the Lord now, how you're laying up that inheritance for your children's children is between you and the Lord. But that has got to be something that I am focusing on in my life. I'm starting to reach that generation where my older kids are adults, and they're starting into their own, their own lives. And I'm going to have to start considering... How can I come alongside my children and minister to them? You know, in in, in in their next phase of life. You know, we went through that with Jessica a little bit, and now she's more positioned on her next phase of life. That may transition at any moment. Okay? Gabrielle's kinda going through her next phase of life, and I'm having to come alongside her with a cafe kind of concept. And that's going to transition probably in a few years again. And so I have to be able to be prepared to come alongside them. And that's the whole point of this, okay? Is being inside. So family. Okay? We're going to talk about two more issues, Lord willing, next week. Okay, It doesn't end here. But the question then is, how well are you reflecting Christ in his teachings in your finances? When people look at you regarding your finances, do they see Jesus? In this tax season, are you committed to reflecting a biblical mindset in the preparation of your taxes? And then, therefore, politically speaking, how does it affect your view of taxation? Hopefully, if you came in today, you were opposed to taxation, you're walking away saying, well, taxation's biblical. I'm not sure I like it so much. You don't have to like it. But you at least have to say it's biblical. How committed are you to honoring your father and your mother in their old age? Let me ask you this question. How much do you want your kids to honor you? And finally, is there a need for changing the way you think? Metanoia, repentance, change the way you think. Do you have a biblical worldview? Or do you have a humanistic worldview? If it's humanistic, if it's of the world, it needs to change. It needs to become of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. It's quick, it's powerful, it's than the 2 sword. And Lord, I'm just astounded by how much you have in your word for us to learn from and to apply to our life. Uh, it just, it continues to 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 blossom more and more before me each time I read it. And I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a body of believers who don't just play church, but Lord, that they desire to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, applying the truth of your word to our lives. You said that if we would abide in your word, we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Lord, I pray that we would be free. We would not be under the mastery of anything, including money. God, I pray that um, you would be exalted in our lives, that we would be lights that are like cities that are set upon a hill, and that people would be able to see. A difference in us, especially as the world grows darker and darker. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen.